All right, this is the Michael Slate Show, and I'm Michael Slate. And uh, right now, I'd like you to hear a message from Lenny Wolf, speaking on the threats of war in Ukraine. This is a war. Whether Russia and the U.S. go to war, or whether, as Van den Heuvel says, the U.S. will take on China, this is a war between slave masters, okay? This is nothing but modern-day slavery. And when the slave masters fight, you don't side with one or another master. You don't side with my master. You take advantage of the fact that they're fighting to overthrow the whole institution of slavery, to get free. And this is how we have to look at it when these imperialists fight. We're not rooting for our imperialists. We are welcoming the defeat of these modern-day slave masters and whatever they undertake, okay? Because that is one step, or could be, if we do our work right, one step closer to being able to make a revolution to overthrow them altogether. That was Lenny Wolf on Russia, Ukraine, U.S. imperialism, and how revolutionaries should approach this. Later on, we'll hear Lenny Wolf on the Revolution Nothing Less show, talking about Ukraine with the host Andy Z. At the very end of the show, we'll talk about COVID and the spreading of lies and disinformation that are killing thousands of people every week. And we'll talk about a few musicians, and that number should grow, who are taking a moral stand, a much-needed moral stand. And now... Opening the show up, we'll be talking with author and activist Paul Street on the dystopian hellscape that humanity is facing. All right? I can never get those words all together. One, because it just makes you so damn angry, but it's, uh, it's going to be important that we're talking, with, we're, we're talking with him today. In November, author and activist Paul Street wrote an article for Counterpunch, A Dystopian Hellscape Beckons, 21 Dark Clouds Over 2021 America. This is on uh, Counterpunch, on counterpunch.org, and I really recommend that you go there and read it, all right? I, I was just really bumped up on it, all right, uh, having done that. I really recommend that you go there and read the whole article. But right now, I'm very happy to, to welcome Paul Street back to the show to talk with us about this. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. Um, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. Cheer everybody. I'm just trying to cheer everybody up for the Christmas season. You know. <laughs> there you go, man. There you go. Yes. I forgot. I, I forgot that was in my title. I remember the 21 dark clouds, but yeah. <laughs> okay, man. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, what the hell, man? <laughs> this is something... This is something that if you're not saying what the hell, I'm really worried about you. You know, that's a, that's a big thing. So why don't well, we... you know, if you're not, if you're not terrified, uh, you're not paying attention. Uh, this, this is getting really heavy. Yeah. The situation is getting yeah, really, absolutely. really, absolutely. really, really heavy. Uh, I also want your listeners to know that I've got a book coming out at the end of the month. It's called This Happened Here, uh, Americaners, Neoliberals, and the Trumping of America, and you just Google all that up, and you'll come right to it. Absolutely, so and and yeah. we want to be uh, we want to be there in the front lines of your book coming out. All right, so as soon as you get that book comes out, oh, great, we'll jump on it. All right, well, look, so, the, um, you know, um, it, let me let me let me um, let me provide a little context here. Um, when I say things are getting heavy and dystopian and and dark clouds and all of that, if you ask me, um, there's three big sort of dark clouds uh, um, hanging over, not just over America, but over humanity. One of them's been there since 1945, and it's sort of every year. 
that we go by where the lunatics in charge of the nation states of this of the world haven't launched World War Three, we're lucky. So thermonuclear war, that's a, sort of the standard one, right? Mm-hmm. Two, climate catastrophe. Ecocide. Ecocide is not just the climate issue. It's a whole bunch of things. It's 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 extinction. Um, it's land use patterns and so forth. But the climate is in the vanguard of that. That's a little different than the nuclear war one. Uh, every year we go by and then they don't blow up the world with nukes. We're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, the climate thing, every year that goes by and nothing is done significantly to reverse it, it just gets worse and more existentially precarious. Uh, it is fundamentally rooted in capitalism, the expand-or-die system of capitalism, which is addicted uh, in investment terms to fossil fuels and intimately related to the, the uh, rising carbon issue is the menace and the threat of tipping points, whereupon uh, that danger takes on a life in and of itself. I think um, more and more we have to be thinking of pandemics and pandemicide as a subset within the capitalist-generated ecological catastrophe. And the third one, and it's a lot of what this article that you're talking about um, is about, is fascism, mm-hmm. uh, um, which is the big topic in my next book, This Happened Here. Uh, and if fascism, and here we're not just talking about like one of six parties in Belgium you know, or France or Germany, but about one of the major two only viable capitalist parties in the most powerful country in history and the most powerful country in the world, the most dangerous country in the world, the United States. One of the two parties really has now crossed over into fascist space. And if fascism wins out in this country, which has power that Hitler could not have dreamed of in 1941, that the Third Reich could never have imagined, fascism wins here. And elsewhere, because you have Bolsonaro and you have Hungary and you have you have a there, there's a global issue too. Uh, the chances of fixing one and the chances of fixing two, and of course two is really uh, all about capitalism and fascism is a sub is a superstructural change in capitalism, but still capitalist. Uh, then there's no chance of fixing uh, um, one and two. Uh, and for me, it's not just about uh, uh, the Republicans. I also, in my analysis, have the Democrats as sort of the uh, Weimar junior partner collaborator in the fascitization of this of this country. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's really important the things you're saying. And I want to go back to those, something, something that you started out with, with that, which I think people who aren't familiar with what you're saying or, you know, with what you've done, it's very important. And that the first point in your article is, that the fascist beast is uncaged and chomping at the bit for vengeance. And you talked you talked about the lack of con- consequence for January sixth. That, for instance, um, to oh, the attacks yeah. to the attacks on teachers and school boards and public uh, public health officials and local election officials. You know, to basically right. you, go ahead, go ahead. Well, you know, when um, you know when I talk about fascism, it's really rather specific. An organization I've been affiliated with for the last few years, Refuse Fascism, would often get accused of, uh, you know, just extremist juvenility and just throwing the word around in, in a reckless kind of way because you know it's just our it's just this leftist way of of um, smearing things we don't like. It's not true at all. Very specific about it, and it, it, it fascism. Among many things, it includes a sort of vengeful nationalism and violent racism and cult of personality and untruth. But fundamentally, is about a, a rejection of normal, normative, longstanding bourgeois democracy and, and a determination to go beyond 
uh, constitutional rule of law and the embrace of political violence. You know, and, and in January 6th, literally, the deployment of mass racialized political violence to reverse, to, to undo the certification and prevent, it was a last-ditch coup effort, to, to prevent the certification of a normal parliamentary bourgeois election, you know, and, and the chief instigator of it. By far and away, the chief instigator. I guess if there's anything new that's come out since I did my last book about January 6th, it's the depth and the degree of the White House buy-in and the elite coordination. We're learning more stuff every day about how involved Trump is with it. Uh, and the chief instigator of this, and of course, there's so much more, including a pandemicide that is probably responsible for half of the U.S. Uh, COVID-19 deaths, is running free. Is likely to be the 2024 nominee for the Republican Party, is not in jail, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and, and that's just astonishing. And we know from his first campaign, one of his campaign managers for 2020, Brad Pascal, has said uh, that he visited him recently, and, and he wants back, Trump wants back, and it's not for any policy reasons, it's not with any particular, uh, um, you know, strong vision, it's for vengeance, it's for vengeance. He wants to punish and eliminate his enemies and show um, who's boss. And um, that could well happen for various reasons I talk about in, in the article. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell people real quick that um, basically, folks, you need to get this. You need to get this and read it and read the article and, you know, just follow along in here is, is fine, but I want you to really read it and think about what's being said and what needs to be done. Now, you know, tell me this, man, because as I'm doing this, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, of course, you know, it's not just a bunch of goons that are out in the streets. That, um, that's there. That, that there's there's support for a fascist USA from the police and their their spokespeople. Yeah. And there's Tucker Carlson pumping out all fascism's talking points and and from from anti-vax uh, disinformation to the uh, anti-immigrant great um, great replacement theory. How do you see this? You know, because you you spend I mean you're right in the middle of this and you're actually people are looking to what you're saying and what you're doing. In, in a way of understanding what's happening. So let's talk about that. How do you see this all coming together, and what are the fascist talking points? Well, it really doesn't look good. It's quite grave, particularly unless we have some sort of mass political intervention in, in the streets and the public squares and in the, in the political process that the Democrats don't seem to have any interest in bringing about. You mentioned uh, Fox News. Uh, five nights a week, there's the Fatherland News uh, um, hate hour. That's what I call it, the hate hour. That's from Orwell. And, um, you know, he defends a, a violent murderer of civil rights protesters like Kyle Rittenhouse. And, you know, he can even bring out people like Glenn Greenwald to chime along in, in uh, supporting that. And, of course, they denounce so-called critical race theory, which is an anti-intellectual way they have of justifying an assault on teaching basic truths about the role of race and racism in American history, you know. But at the same time, uh, um, Hannity... And 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 um, and 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 Carlson, basically with a grip on, on on a major media outlet here that is the basic source of information for millions and millions and millions of white Americaners. I call them, and they advance fascist replacement theory. I wish that phrase would catch on. FRT. It's, it's this bizarre notion that there's a, a globalist, uh, leftist, corporate Marxist. Uh, uh, elite liberal conspiracy to replace the virtuous, hardworking, good, true Americans 
uh, with people of color, immigrants and, and black people and so forth, who are accused of being inferior and lazy and criminal and indolent um, and, and so forth. And there's a very strong racial overlay to all of this. I mean, really, the, the, they don't say it, but really behind and underneath the claim that the 2020 election was stolen, which is an utterly absurd claim, and then disproven many times over, is a white racial resentment over the fact that it was non-white votes that uh, led to Trump, who had been uh, uh, briefly thrown down into the bunker by uh, a um, uh, pro-black civil rights rebellion called the George Floyd Rebellion, and then was exempt, and then was kicked out of the Oval Office through an electoral process. Not the best way to have gotten rid of Trump. We should have gotten rid of Trump through a mass movement. But in any event, we did vote him out. It was heroic and remarkable that we did. And it was, it was black and Latino and Native American and non-white votes that were largely responsible for that defeat. And so there's a big, really strong racial aspect to this white nationalist neo-fascism that is um, rigging the electoral process quite expertly and quite craftily and quite strategically particularly at the state level and setting up 2024 for a full return to a uh, three branch across the board national power for, as I say, a party that has a gone essentially now uh, neo-fascist. Mm-hmm. You know, let me, let me remind listeners that you're listening to the Michael Slate show and we're talking with Paul street and, and basically I wanted to, you know, the, the stuff that you've laid out is all very important and it's stuff that people don't normally hear and, you know, many people have, have said that the U.S. is like two different countries, you know, and, oh, yeah. and that it's not just the fascists in the streets. The Republican Party is now there, a fully uh, fascist party. Um, right. It's now a fully fascist party, and it's out there. And this reflects a split in the ruling class, the ruling, the ruling elites, um, a part of the rulers who are going for it, a fully fascist form of rule. And that's something that people actually... You, you should your head should sort of spin around a little bit when you read that. And I wanted to know what you think about that, because you're one of the few people that's actually talking about the reality of this. You know, um, not just you know, this is an important point. Uh, we, we, I'm not just talking about uh, the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers or the three percenters or something. We're talking here and Refuse Fascism has been talking consistently about uh, uh, not just one of five or six parties in a European country. No, the, the other, the second of two, the only two viable capitalist parties in the country has gone fascist. And incidentally, it's the most structurally empowered of the two parties. That seems like a strange thing to say because we non, we have nominal democratic power uh, in the White House right now in Congress, so probably not for very long. And, uh, and, and because of the Constitutional Electoral College and the two senators per state, no matter what their population is, apportionment system in the U.S. Senate, and because of gerrymandering, which is just going completely through the roof right now as we speak, because of those things, uh, uh, the Republican Party is the most structurally empowered. It's a, we have a minority rule system in which the Republican Party uh, is, is rules way, way beyond its actual popular support. The Democrats have to win many, many, a much larger majority of votes in elections to prevail in elections. And that's just getting worse with the voter suppression and the election nullification that's underway now uh, on an escalated level in, uh, under the name of the big lie in the red states of this country. The ruling class um, used to have a kind of cohesive uh, uh, connection 
uh, well, I don't want to go into all of that right now. Let's just put it this way. Uh, uh, I think um, that, that probably a majority of the corporate and financial elite, if you ask them privately, would, would prefer to retain the old parliamentary bourgeois democratic cloak over their underlying class dictatorship. And that's what bourgeois democracy always is. It's capitalism. Capitalism is a, is a de facto underlying material class dictatorship. I think they prefer it, uh, but it's out of the bag now. It's been let out of the bag. Their system has generated it. It has let it out of the bag. There are parts of the ruling class, uh, uh, wacky fossil fuel people and military industrial people and, and maybe smaller scale uh, uh, medium-sized uh, heartland uh, uh, um, investors and, and bourgeois and so forth that really are committed sort of neo-fascist white nationalists. They resent the advances that black people have made since the 60s. They resent feminist gains since the 60s and the 70s. And they re resent um, immigrant rights. You know, there, there, is a, there is a revanchist section of the elite but even in the part that isn't, that would prefer to retain the sort of neoliberal Obama, Hillary, Biden, uh, 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 we just buried Bob Dole, Bob Dole, centrist facade of bourgeois democracy. At the end of the day, do they really care? Uh, can they really stop it anyway? I'm not, I'm not sure that they can. Uh, um, it, it's so structurally empowered. The right, rightward, the far rightward lurch of this country is deeply structurally empowered in the 18th century constitutional order. Um, they can get by with Fox News and with small donations, even without the huge corporate funding. And if the profits keep flowing, then what the hell? The American ruling class has made alliances with and collaborated with fascism abroad since Mussolini up through Hitler. It has sponsored and trained and funded and supervised third world fascism across the planet um, all through the Cold War and since then. And, you know, if the profits keep flowing, it's kind of like the, uh, the uh, Melania Trump jacket uh, that she wore a few years ago. I don't care. Do you? And uh, they'll, they'll make a deal with it. They'll, they'll, they'll make a deal with it. Uh, and they don't have a cohesion to stop it or, or possibly even the power to stop it now. And they will make a deal with it. I'm, I'm going on about it, but you yeah, get my point. No, but it's important. And, and I think, look, it's not just, it's not just like who, what they have in a certain sense, because it's also, there's a, there's a basically that the society is being split in a very, very, very dangerous, you know, a very dangerous way in, in terms of, Absolutely. you know, and it's something that, that keeps hitting people, but we have to actually, but too many people are letting it slide by. And when you're talking about all this, I mean, this is the thing, you know, you said two different, we have two different countries. It's not just the right. fascists in the streets. The Republican Party is now a fully fascist party. And this reflects, a, this reflects a, a split in the ruling class, the ruling elites, the part of the rulers yeah. who are going for it, and a fully fascist form of rule. You know, and when I, I was going to ask you about, okay, let's dig a little bit more deeply into you, what, your thoughts on that. And, and it's a, at the same time, we also have a, we have a, pro, we have something that's there of, of, that we have to really figure out how to make, you know, basically dig in with and work with people who are opposed to this, people who are seeing all this stuff. It's very important that, that people actually begin, begin to understand what is going on and then what they can do about it, what they need to do about it. Well, you know, one thing that's rather disturbing, and, uh, you know, you, you do hear all this stuff in Democratic and liberal media and MSNBC and to some extent on CNN, 
about existential threats and existential menaces. And, and they, they get it at a certain level. They get that the electoral process is being completely rigged. And Barton Gelman at the Atlantic, Atlantic has written a brilliant article about uh, how, the, how 2024 is shaping up as a constitutional coup with violence in the background to be used if required, but very possibly not, uh, uh, at, least, at least not until the protests after the election. You know, but there's this sort of underlying assumption that there was a democracy before all of this, and, and there wasn't. We, we, bourgeois democracy has always been a contingent democracy. Popular input and popular opinion is tolerable insofar as it um, is, is perceived as being consistent with profitable operation of privately owned means of production, distribution, communication, and so forth. And it's, it's always dispensable. It's always dispensable. And, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe they get the hand, maybe they're reading the handwriting on the wall right now. You know, the, the old fashioned democracy may well be done in a neoliberal era when the top thousandth owns uh, uh, as much wealth as the bottom 90 percent. I think the planet is 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 full. You know, there's no more escape valves. It really kind of is socialism or barbarism. A guy who called himself socialist, he wasn't, but he called himself that. And he's pretty popular, named Bernie Sanders. Damn near got one of the major party presidential nominations in both of the last two presidential election cycles. I think that shakes them up. I think the 24 million people that took to the streets uh, in the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake rebellion of 2020, I think that shook people up, you know, and um, I think they just, just figure, what the heck, you know, that was nice. Uh, um, you know, that the two centuries, whatever, of bourgeois democracy is nice, but it uh, doesn't seem to be the trend in the world uh, of authoritarianism. But I think it could be very nasty here. The American model of authoritarianism is heavily overlaid with patriarchal, patriarchy and racism that go back and are foundational to the, the beginning of this nation, and we have a arms, a gun saturation that I think is unparalleled anywhere in the planet. It's just astonishing how many guns there are afoot. So, I mean, I'm personally concerned about not just the fascism, but something that could take on a, um, a really bloody and genocidal aspect going forward. I mean, I'm just my guns here. We're talking about military-style uh, assault weapons. Um, we can thank the um, neo-fascistic NRA for, um, you know, get, get, getting those in the hands of, of just untold masses of, of truly demented people, many of whom think that uh, the 2020 election was stolen and are really pissed off about it. Mm -hmm. Now we've got to make a quick, quick, quick announcement, and that is you're listening to The Michael Slate Show, and we're talking, we're talking today with Paul Street, and we're talking about what's happening, you know, basically... What the hell is happening in the world right now in terms of the, the, the way things are shaping up and the dangers that, pe that are facing people? And what can that actually needs to be done about it? Now, Paul Street, I got to tell you this, man. <laughs> um, you know, part of this is, and it, it, it really gets to me because you're talking about all this stuff. And I keep thinking about, you know, here's this thing about we talk about the ruling class, the ruling elites, a part of the rulers that are going for it, fully fascist form of rule. You know, that is not things that people just normally think is like, you know, okay, Maybe it's happening, maybe it's not. But there's a lot of people who should know better that don't know better and are actually looking at things from a different standpoint. It's like sort of it's the same old, same old, same old, you know, and just a little bit, you know, a little bit less, you know, a little bit less dangerous. But, you know, all this other stuff are, you know, a little bit less, uh, you know, willing to work with it and just sort of saying, well, you know, we don't really have to do worry about it 
come the next election, it'll all be overdone. It'll be done. We'll have everything, you know, everything will be back to normal. Whatever is going on, you know, there's not a pendulum swing in a certain sense if you, if you want to deal with it that way. And too many people think that there is. I don't know if you want to talk on that for a little bit. It'd be, I'd really like well, to hear. Well, you know, there is something in the liberal and, uh, and um, even the progressive community uh, that the right doesn't have. There's a, there's a tendency to uh, turn everything into a um, get-out-the-vote program. You know, so let's turn George Floyd into a vote-for-Biden thing. Let's turn Occupy into a uh, defeat Mitt Romney thing. Everything tends to get sucked into electoral politics and then... They demobilize. You know, the right never demobilizes. It never stops. It's relentless. I mean, it's absurd that the right wing are the Leninists here, that they're the strategic people. They are constantly, they're a movement. They're constantly uh, uh, working to rig the system. They have studied um, the 2020 election. They have studied January 6th very carefully. And as Barton Gelman, who's a liberal Democrat, not as radical as me, but as he very intelligently shows in his recent uh, Atlantic piece. I'm blanking on the title of it right now. They are quiet. Well, it's quietly. They are openly and explicitly changing the rules of the game at the state level. By the way, the right understands the importance of state level politics in the way the left just doesn't. What happens in the red states is really, really important. What happens at the state level? It's the most neglected area level of, of politics. The ruling class on Trump they were uh, unbelievably uh, um, ready to play along with him uh, until like 99% of the way through his term when January 6th was just a step a little bit too far and there were some denunciations that came out from corporate America. They got a little pissed off by an open fascist assault on, a, on, a, on an election, right? Uh, and they've already, there are Boeing and other big corporations are already back to the funding of um, the right wing of the House caucus members, you know, but they were fine with Charlottesville and they were fine with kids in cages and they were fine with just the unbelievably violent and racist and horrible things that Trump did, including uh, 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 trying to have a military uh, repression of the um, of the um, of the George Floyd rebellion. But, uh, you know, th th we do deal now. And part of the equation is we do deal on the left now. I mean, even after January 6th, it's faded since January 6th, but all through Trump, I was catching hell from a certain type of leftist, uh, um, so-called, typically a white male and more than 50, 40 or 50 years old, but a lot of them uh, sometimes calling themselves Marxists who just, just were in la-la land and, and were calling people like me and other anti-fascists hysterical you know, uh, uh, for thinking that Trumpism represented a real fascist menace to the country. And they had all kinds of ridiculous ideas, a big exaggeration of how working class and how proletarian the Trump base is, which thereby made them complicit in the fake populist branding of the neo-fascist uh, GOP. And, you know, a lot of false accusations of being uh, in bed with and, and accommodating of the Democrats, I mean, which is just and anyone who knows my writing who thinks I'm soft on the Democrats is just laughable. But we would we would catch this. Oh, you're soft on the Democrats because you talk about where the Republicans have gone. Utter, complete, total, abject nonsense. In my analysis, consistently, the Democrats are complicit in and part of this. We just talked about the uh, pointing everybody to the um, electoral politics. I consistently, through Trump 
said uh, the way to remove this guy, and so did refuse fascism, and so did some others, some anarchists and some other lefties, uh, said the way to get this guy out of there is the way the people of Puerto Rico got rid of Ricky Rosario. It would set new terms. It would create a, 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 that would have been the way to, to evict this uh, fascist president. And, um, you know, the downplaying of racism and the downplaying of sexism uh, and the claiming that anti-racism and anti-sexism to not see that leftists have a, have a, their own version of anti-sexism and anti-racism and anti-fascism and to fold it all into bourgeois liberal identity politics and bourgeois liberal virtue signaling, both of which are problems and exist. Uh, um, it's just really despicable and very problematic. And I've been at war with, and in my last book, have a whole subsection on this uh, really strange and uh, depressing Trump and left phenomena. I, I, when I first came up with the term, it was kind of, I sort of meant it as a joke. I was kind of kidding. It was a characterization of a bunch of people I was getting emails and social media messages from. And it really caught on. Uh, and it turned out to be describing a whole wing of folks. There, there really is a problem out there um, in what passes for a left on fascism and Trumpism, less after January 6th. A lot of people sort of, I mean, it's like, how do you deny it after January 6th, right? But, but still, still out there. It's really kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 actually yeah, it's kind of bizarre. It's also just looking at the thing. You know, when I was reading and preparing for the show today, I kept thinking about all the, the all the various things that people just actually you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of denial on the part of people, but there's also people just don't get it or they don't know it or it's not available to them to figure out and be uh, and to get to and figure and be able to figure out what's going on. But you, well, you know, I. I... I, I don't think it's just coincidental that about 90% of this crap that I've caught on the so-called left is from older white males, right? And, and related to it is a very economistic or political economistic concept of fascism that deletes completely the racial nationalism mm. and the racism and also the patriarchy mm. uh, and, 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 and tends to uh, accuse people who focus on those aspects of the menace on the right of being collaborating with um, bourgeois identity politics and, and virtue signaling. And it's, it's really wrong. It's, it's really wrong. There's a left approach to race. There's a left radical socialist communist approach to race um, and to gender uh, and, to, and to immigrant rights and to, gen- and to uh, sexual orientation that has nothing to do with, with those uh, uh, bourgeois liberalism and everything to do with anti-capitalism and anti-imperialism, which sees racism and patriarchy as foundational to the growth and expansion of American capitalism and American imperialism and points out that to really seriously address issues, for example, of race and racism uh, uh, is something that, that capitalism and American imperialism can never do. It never will. Uh, but framed properly in a, in a, in a, in a left radical uh, way, it's, very, it's actually quite radical to get serious about race. It's actually quite radical to get serious about gender, depending on how you approach the topic and the context within which you discuss it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, one thing that actually got me in, in very, very much in terms of what you've been putting forward, and I would like to, you know, dig into what you've been saying more around that, because it's actually, these are the questions that are facing people today. I mean, even you're talking about um, what would the world look like if we go along with a fascist American? It looks like a Gilead, the system from The Handmaid's Tale, especially around the rights of women as, as well as the oh. educational system. And I'd like to right. talk about that for a little bit, too, because this is something that people, you know, it's not just the question of the change in the, oh. in the way that it's developed and the things are, are presented to us, but it's actually what is the actual, 
what's the what actually happens in in the in the in the, in the, in the sense of what we're getting now, where we're at now, what's actually what's happening in the society now, and this is something that's not just falling in place. It's actually something that is being particularly you know, put there and, and uh, things are being chased, not as, you know, oh, just it happened. There's actually a real, real movement to be well, what we've been know, talking you about. You, you mentioned Gilead and you mentioned um, so that you're bringing up the abortion issue, I think, to some extent. And um, while um, there's some decent liberal activism uh, I, and, and commentary on that right now, pointing out that the neo-fascist, Christo-fascist right is completely hypocritical on right to life because they uh, because you know, they have people here who are uh, uh, um, upset about vaccine mandates as a as a government uh, tyranny, so-called, against the body, but then are completely ready to to have the, the government uh, for, uh, impose the forced female enslavement of uh, involuntary pregnancy and for forced pregnancy. It's just ridiculous. And not to mention that the right doesn't, uh, you know, this is the right, both fascist and pre-fascist, you know, is, is, is against uh, basic supports, you know, safety nets for children, right? So they're, they're anti-life. Oh, also, by the way, they support ecocide and the destruction of liberal ecology, which is kind of anti-life. So, you know, the liberals are good at that. But then they, 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 they what I've noticed is, because I've been at some demos about this issue, they're, they're framing it as a single issue, and they're not getting the connection between the right-wing position on uh, life, and they're also now increasingly more and more the same people who are uh, on board with the assault and critical race theory, that they're on board with embracing political violence. The anti-abortion people are, are also uh, have brought into the idiotic notion that the 2020 election was stolen. They're ready to embrace political violence. I, I can go on about that. And, and secondarily, they're also downplaying the need for the liberals or the need for mass resistance in the streets. They're surrendering in advance on Roe v. Wade. It's really kind of pathetic to behold and this is very a typical liberal kind of thing they just don't want to get serious about things um and take it to the streets um you know what the world would look like would include that it would be a patriarchal gilead state under fascism and increasingly not just in the however many states that uh, that have terrible abortion laws but i would expect that to be extended and expanded in a in a, in a fascist america to, uh, probably to the whole country at some point but it would be a world in which, um, I mean, the reason, the only reason, well, the main reason to have broken form, and I did with my usual alienation complete from the electoral process, and to vote for Biden to come in was just breathing room, some breathing space, some, 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 and COVID quite literally, you know, because the, the COVID policies of Trump were just awful. They were pandemo-fascist. But but to, to have some breathing space to try and organize against this underlying class dictatorship of bourgeois rule and the, and the empire that's intimately connected to that. They're sort of joined like twins, you know, at, at their foundation, empire and capital. Um, there's, no, there's no chance for resistance. That's the point of fascism. Under fascism, under authoritarian rule, uh, under the rule of the fraternal order of police and, 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 and a politicized military and paramilitary thugs in the streets. And, you know, Kenosha was very much about coordination and cooperation, Cla but, uh, the classic sort of fascist uh, um, co coordination collaboration between state gendarmes and, and extra state paramilitary. Um, in that kind of world, um, uh, 
you don't you don't you don't get to organize for anything, and you certainly don't get to organize for socialism, which we desperately we desperately need eco socialism if humanity is going to have any chance. There's no space. Uh, um, you know, I, I want to. I, I don't want to. Uh, you know, I, I'd rather. I prefer to live in a bourgeois world where I don't get uh, uh, a bullet in the back of my head and thrown out of a helicopter uh, for my left wing beliefs. And you know, just in case anyone thinks that's a wild kind of thing, Trump embraced the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys marched in Washington D.C. with T-shirts that said, "Not only six million wasn't enough," uh, meaning six million Jews wasn't went out of killed in the Holocaust. They also had T-shirts that said. Pinochet did nothing wrong. And they're quite serious about that. And what did Pinochet do, among other things? He had leftists thrown out of helicopters. They will do that at some point. I think first they go after the liberal elites, but um, leftists, including <laughs> including some, people, some of my uh, enemy Trump and leftists, uh, uh, will catch hell uh, further down the road. Yeah, the road. yeah absolutely. We're going to have to wrap up real soon, but I I wanted to ask you, you know, it's it's it, this is I th- I think this is really important here. This last question, I'd like I could spend another hour talking with you about it, but yeah. you know, this basically all this is occurring at a time when we have the greatest crisis facing our species. You know, the environmental destruction that's on its yeah. way to changing the nature of all the, of the of the planet itself, and there's a widespread problem of passivity. Some of it brought on by the the, the way that that uh, the system uses elections, like you know, you vote every year, every four years, and that's it. How are we going to deal with this? I mean, this is what seems to be something that's really right there, and people do ha- have to not only just recognize that it's there, but they actually have to figure out how the hell are we going to deal with this because this could, in fact, be the end of it all. Uh, you know, I would say already has changed the planet. I, I just uh, I noticed. Here it's Christmas season, and I'm in Chicago, and um, I've noticed this for the last few years. It's, uh, I, I mean, I don't have to tell anyone about the weather changes, but I mean, it it feels like Missouri and Tennessee now up here, and it has for a while. So you know, we already have changed the planet, and it's not just a weather change. We are on pace uh, for the melting of the Antarctic uh, in 2050. Climate, younger climate scientists, uh, child. Um, uh, raising or, or uh, bearing age are not having kids right now because of what they see, uh, what they're projecting coming forward. And, uh, you know, this is fundamentally about capitalism. You can't just can't blame fascism for this. This is the expand or die, fossil fuel addicted, anarchy competitive, chaotic global system of capitalism, of course, led by the United States. So, um, you know, you <laughs> What can we do about it? Well, it, it, it is very important to keep authoritarianism uh, in all of its forms, and uh, and here in this country, the fa- its fascist forms, and at bay, it does have to be defeated. I mean, the ballots are fine, but it's going to have to be defeated in the streets because there's no chance of stopping ecocide uh, uh, or any of the other uh, maladies of capitalism under fascism. That's the point. Fascism never breaks with capitalism. Fascism is a superstructural change within capitalism. It's born of, uh, of, of modern industrial era capitalism. Uh, and I think of, you know, naming the beast and naming the enemies uh, is really, really critical. And talking about the difference between the politics of who's sitting in the White House every four years. Well, oh, okay, we voted and everything's okay now. No, the politics of who's sitting in the streets in the public squares, I think naming the beast and being in the streets, and those two are related. 
Because when you really get serious about what we're up against, things like ecocide, pandemicide, and fascism, when you get serious about those things and the connection between them, you can't just you can't just sit on your couch and be armchair anymore. So, you know, it's great that Barton Gelman and liberals at MSNBC are talking about existential menaces, but we really need to call it out for what it is and to talk about uh, um, uh, uh, about the need for something far beyond the type of activism that the commercial sponsors are uh, at MSNBC and CNN, the New York Times and Washington Post are ever going to, are ever going to be comfortable with. And um, that's a struggle and that's agitation. And that's, that means um, struggling with people and, and uh, engaging them. And so an outlet like this right now, where we're having an honest discussion about that is very, very important. We need a, we need a thousand more of these. And, um, and um, you know, um, all right, Paul, we're going to have and to... we can't give up. You know, the chances of doing this might be 1 in 10 or 2 in 10 or 3 in 10. Why bring them down to 0 in 10 with fatalism and pessimism in advance? Absolutely. All right, Paul Street, thank you very much for joining us today. And I hope we'll, ju- we'll, we'll hear from you again before too long. Hey, super, Michael. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Uh, you're listening to The Michael Slate Show, and we've just been talking with Paul Street and Paul, you know, Paul's a very interesting guy. He's the, he's basically, he's an author and activist and, uh, he's on the dystopian hellscape that, uh, humanity is facing. He's always talking about that. And it's important that we actually realize this. Okay. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back. So stay tuned. Right, Green Day, Troubled Times, that was that. These days, it seems like every major contradiction in the world is becoming more intense. The climate crisis, the rise of fascism, the oppression of women who are half of humanity, and imperialist war. The latest opinion poll I read said that 54% of Democrats support U.S. military action in Ukraine. Nobody who cares about the 7 billion people on this planet should support the aims of the imperialists. And we're going to hear why from Lenny Wolf speaking about Russia, Ukraine, U.S. imperialism, and how revolutionaries should approach this. This is from the Revolution Nothing Less show, and Lenny is talking with the host, Andy Z. 
potential Russian invasion of Ukraine. Biden is now considering shifting thousands of U.S. troops to shore up Eastern European and Baltic allies. What role exactly should America be playing? Joining me now to discuss, Katrina Vandenhuvel, the editorial director and publisher of The Nation magazine. We, Anand, you know, I mean, we've been the indispensable nation. We've been the America, the exceptional. If we continue to police the world and there's militarism, we will not have the resources at home to deal with the great crises we face, whether it's inequality, whether it's existential climate crisis, whether it's racial division. I'm here in the RNL studio in Los Angeles, California, with Lenny Wolf, a writer for Revcom.us, a comrade, a friend, and a leader of the Rep Get Organized for an Actual Revolution Tour. Welcome back to the RNL show, Lenny. Good to see you, Andy. So we're going to talk today about the situation that's brewing in uh, Eastern Europe between the Russia, uh, headed by Putin, who has been amassing over 100,000 troops on the border of the Ukraine, a country just to the west of Russia, threatening to invade. and the uh, powers of Europe, the different countries there, and with President Biden sending $200 million worth of arms to the Ukrainian people, as well as uh, threatening to send troops. And so it's a very dangerous situation. So if you could just take our viewers, give, give them a basic understanding of the situation, then we want to get into what's in this, what's the interest of the people of the world in this struggle? Look, part of what's going on in the world today is that the great powers are contending with each other. The great powers, the imperialist powers, are contending with each other right now over who's going to have the lion's share of exploiting and plundering the world. And that's what gives some, some of the intensity to what we see going on now. And other, you know, and that has fallout then in the... Uh, battles between the different sections of the ruling class within the United States. Okay, so we should, that, that's something I want to get into because, you know, if you're, if you're reading the newspapers, listening on the internet, social media, every place, you see that there's all kinds of advice that different forces are giving to the ruling class. You know, go here, do it this way, do it that way. And I, I think for some of our viewers that's confusing and in, in fact, do any of these positions that have been put forward actually represent the interests of the masses of people? I think we want to focus in, though, on uh, something that probably influences our audience more than many other points of view, which is the publisher of The Nation magazine, Katrina Vanden Heuvel, uh, which is a progressive liberal magazine for, you know, 150 years or something like that. Uh, it's also writes for The Washington Post. And she wrote a column this, this week that needs to be... Uh, looked at. So I wonder if you could just talk about that. Yeah, well, first of all, all this advice that's being given from every quarter really doesn't mean that much to the ruling class. This is not the people who are actually leading the empire, who are making the decisions about where to fight, where not to fight. They don't care about Katrina Vanden Heuvel's um, opinions on what they're supposed to do. They do care about her effectiveness in getting people who actually have no interest in any of this, siding with any of these imperialist powers, they do care on how effective she is in doing that, in getting us to think as if we are, uh, have share, share a common interest with these imperialists. In her column last week, uh, she says, with the United States desperately needing to focus attention 
and resources on the challenges posed by the pandemic, debilitating economic inequality, severe racial division, and catastrophic climate change. And as the administration positions itself to take on China, the last thing we need is a war by proxy with the Russians over Ukraine. Listen to this just one more time. As the administration positions itself to take on China, the last thing we need is a war by proxy. Listen to what she's doing here. In the name of counseling peace, she's actually advising the government and the ruling class of this country that they should concentrate on confronting China. And she's trying to rope you into that mentality. Yeah, well, we should be confronting China. You have no interest in confronting China, okay? You are not part of that we that she's talking about. We've got to do this. Think for a minute, who is in this we? Just to take one example, does this we include the 10, 8, 7-year-old girls and boys in the Congo who, who spend their days mining cobalt? for cell phones and electric cars, and who, who are um, right now the Congo is being, has been for 25 years torn by terrible civil war that's taken literally several million lives because of the contention between the imperialist powers over who is going to monopolize that? Is that who we are? Is that what, why we need to position ourselves against China? These are things, these are ways that the real we, those of us who actually want a better world, those of us who stand with the seven billion of humanity, need to become critical thinkers and analyze it when they're training us to think in wrong ways and self-defeating ways. So they've got you thinking you have an interest in this. And how does she appeal to you? She says, well, we've got, des we've got challenges uh, from the pandemic, from debilitating economic inequality, from racial division and catastrophic climate change. We have things here. And so we shouldn't get distracted by a war with Russia. We should get into a war with China to advance our interests. But are they our interests? Think about this. All these things that, that, that she's appealing to you that you want to see done are resting on a foundation of empire. It's resting on those children that Lenny spoke of before from the Congo, on that super exploitation of those children. That's the we that they're trying to separate you from. Our we is with those children, not with the ruling class. And just by the way, if they do go to war, who do you think is going to fight that? It's going to be the children and the young men and women of the people in this country uh, who are most oppressed by this and have no interest in that war. So. I think we... One last thing, Andy. Yeah. This is a war, whether it's between Russia, whether Russia and the U.S. go to war, or whether there is, or whether, as Van den Heuvel says, the U.S. will take on China. This is a war between slave masters, okay? This is nothing but modern-day slavery. And when the slave masters fight... You don't side with one or another master. You don't side with my master. You take advantage of the fact that they're fighting to overthrow the whole institution of slavery, to get free. And this is how we have to look at it when these imperialists fight. We're not rooting 
for our imperialists. We are, we are welcoming the defeat of these modern-day slave masters and whatever they undertake, okay? Because that is one step, or could be, if we do our work right, one step closer to being able to make a revolution to overthrow them altogether. I just want to conclude then with uh, uh, where this is concentrated in a principle of the new communism developed by Bob Avakian. He says, it is crucial that people come to see what the nature of these wars being waged by their government actually is and why these wars have to be actively opposed. And even if you can't or shouldn't support the other side, you still have to have the basic approach of welcoming the defeat of your own government in the wars it is waging. The defeat of these imperialists should be welcomed because, number one, their wars are unjust. And even if the people opposing them are also unjust. And two, every such defeat weakens the system and its ruling class and brings closer the time when people can actually bring it down and bring something liberating into being in its place. End quote. This is from The New Communism by Bob Avakian, which you can find on revcom.us and you can order a copy from Revolution Books online. So I think maybe that's a place for us to wrap up this discussion. We'll be covering more of it. You want some la a last word? And I want people to go to revcom.us. Read the articles we have there, which elaborate on this in more depth. And um, stay tuned. If this heats up, we'll probably be publishing more than just once a week on Monday morning. Um, other than that, no, I think the quote from B.A. is the way to end this, the way to take this out. And um, All right. Well, thank you for coming back to the RNL show um, and bringing, set, shedding some light on what is a very... Uh, a situation that's very confusing to a lot of people and to our audience, and that's part of what we do here at the RNL show is to bring to you looking beneath the surface as to what's really going on and where the interests of humanity lie. Now, as Paul Street was talking about, the fascists in the Republic Fascist Party are actually helping spread COVID, and they have help from people like Joe Rogan, a former wrestling announcer who used to be known mainly for hating trans people. A couple of weeks ago, a letter signed by 270 doctors and scientists demanded that the streaming service Spotify stop allowing Rogan to spread his lies on their service, lies that are directly leading to people dying. When Spotify did nothing, Neil Young demanded that they either get rid of Rogan's lies or take his music off the service. He was immediately joined by Joni Mitchell, another legendary singer and songwriter, Nils Lofgren, a guitarist, musician, and vocalist with Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band, joined them, writing a challenge for other artists. He said, Music is our planet's sacred weapon, uniting and healing billions of souls every day. Pick up your sword and start swinging. So we're going to go out with a song from Neil Young and Crazy Horse, The Days That Used To Be. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>